Hello everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the podcast. In this episode, I discuss the effects COVID-19 had on the global economy with economist Alessandro Ribucci. Please enjoy. start off by uh, asking for a general question. So I read your uh, your work called The uh, Economic Consequences of COVID-19. I, I wanted to start off by asking, like, how would you summarize like the effects that COVID-19 had on the uh, economy? Thank you, Jonathan, for inviting me to speak about uh, our work. Uh, COVID-19 has been something completely new, completely unexpected, and it has affected the economy in many, many different ways. I'm a macroeconomist, and I will answer from uh, the perspective of my, <clears throat> of my discipline, of my expertise. Um, we usually think about recessions or uh, financial shocks as affecting the economy mostly on the demand side. What was unique about uh, the COVID initial impact that it affected the economy both on the supply side and the demand side. That is to say that because of the lockdown, a lot of businesses, especially in air travel, tourism, restoration, entertainment, were asked to shut down. And that means that the supply of those services and uh, activities is uh, all of a sudden is, uh, is cut. At the same, at the same time, uh, because workers lost uh, jobs and income temporarily in those activities, they have also lowered their demand of goods and services in other parts of the economy. So there were also uh, demand effects. So in those sectors directly affected by the economy, the drop in uh, demand and supply were matched to each other. A business closes. So you can, as a first approximation, assume that uh, uh, both the demand and the supply disappear, but then those workers that no longer make an income in the affected economies, uh, part of the economy by the shutdown are gonna spend less in other parts of the economy. So to summarize, what is special about COVID is the fact that they affected both the demand side and the supply side of the economy. So you're saying that both like the supply and demand were, was directly affected by this? Yes. Uh, okay. So both less demand and less supply initially was probably more less demand and less supply. And now um, after two years, what we see is that demand has come back, but not all the suppliers coming back. You hear a lot about uh, uh, supply chain disruptions, shortages of workers. This means that the economy is not supplying as much as it used to before the pandemic, while the demand has gone back up, and that's why now you're seeing some inflation. Right, right. I have seen some inflation over the last like month or two. It's going yeah. up to like five percent. This starts right. back again. So yes. that's what you're saying like there's more demand now, and that's what's causing inflation. Right. Okay. So in your article, you talk about how rapidly growing body of research investigates the heterogeneous, nonlinear, and uncertain macroeconomic effects of COVID across countries. 
sectors in individual countries as well as on a global scale. Why were these effects on these certain sectors like, so important to like, the greater picture? Well, this is, um, <clears throat> is a complex question on, on, on the whole of the world economy. Let me just say that um, on the one hand, COVID uh, affected uh, different parts of the national economy, the US economy or the world economy in different ways. So for example, China had the first wave of the pandemic about a month, a month and a half earlier than Europe and then Europe before the US, eventually developing countries got in the, in the spring and so on and so forth. And then you've seen different economies having waves at different times. So you can see the heterogeneity right there. And I talked earlier about the fact that uh, once you have the epidemic, different parts of the economies are affected differently. So those are the sectors. Um, why this is important? Well, there are two uh, dimensions to it. Um, every part of the economy is interconnected. And we saw it during the pandemic. We saw it in previous historical episode of international recessions. So when uh, the US is not doing well, eventually Europe and China also are gonna be affected or vice versa. Uh, in 2011, 2012, Europe was not doing very well after the global financial crisis. And it was a drag on US growth. So you have interdependence, the same within an economy. If sectors affected by the shutdown uh, lose both demand and supply, eventually you have a spillover to the other sector. So that's why it's important to take into account of uh, these linkages and the mm -hmm. fact that the effects can be different sector by sector or economy by, by economy. Um, yeah, so this is why it's important. The second dimension is that <clears throat> the pandemic itself, we now learn that how the, the epidemic curve evolves critically depends by the, the fraction of the population that is uh, already infected and presumably immune for a while, or later on in the pandemic vaccinated, the fraction of uh, the population that uh, is uh, susceptible. So is not yet infected and not vaccinated and could be potentially, uh, potentially be infected. So when we think about these in terms of uh, the world economy, you have that in advanced economy now, the vaccination rate is relatively high, while in many other places, especially in Latin America, uh, in Africa, in certain parts of Asia, vaccination rates are much lower. So the fact that we bring it under control over here is not enough to solve the problem. And the example of uh, the latest variant from South Africa is very, is very telling. So you have a new variant developing a part of the world where vaccination rates are low and then it come back and hunt you even in places like the US where we have uh, currently one of the highest uh, vaccination rates uh, in the world. So that's why um, taking into account uh, the heterogeneity of the diffusion of the epidemic and the heterogeneity of the effects of these epidemic curves on the economies is important. Okay, so speaking about the, this new uh, variant of uh, coronavirus, do you think that it will affect not just the US economy or the entire 
world economy? Well, do you think it will affect it the same in the same way as the first wave of COVID did, or do you think that you know the economies have gone you know prepared to handle this this kind of recession? Right. The short answer is that obviously nobody knows because we don't know the biology yet of the new variant experience right. with the Delta variants and uh, previous uh, uh, previous um, waves of the of the original COVID is that we are adapting to the pandemic. So we are better prepared. Uh, we do take measures which are tolerable from uh, uh, the perspective of limitation to our individual uh, freedom or move around and engage in activities that are politically tolerable and there is less hesitation. So there was a very quick response now, even in the United States, not to reimpose uh, draconian lockdown that are very hard to sustain, mm -hmm. uh, but to take uh, targeted measures that help containing the spread. So yes, I think we are better prepared. It's very difficult to know what uh, the new variant, the new incarnation of the virus is going to do. My impression is that uh, the problem is here to stay, in part because unlike uh, typical um, uh, infectious diseases, immunity is now permanent. So we lose immunity after a certain number of months and certain fraction of the population are not vaccinated. Ch uh, small children in particular, they need to be in school. And then a large segment of the population that worldwide are they are having a reservation about vaccination. Um, so these two factors are very important and they suggest that uh, in one way or another one, um, COVID will stay with us for a while. But on the other hand, most economies seem to have adapted to the new, to the new normal. So we have both bad news and good news. And bad news is that unlike what we thought at the beginning, is not just going to disappear after right. 12, 18 months. But on the other hand, we learn how to deal with that. And certainly advanced economies like the US uh, can deal with it. And uh, other economies have uh, taken different approaches. For example, China has uh, tried to implement a zero tolerance policy, which mm -hmm. has served China very well at the beginning now are a little bit more difficult to sustain. So they will also have to adopt some, some mitigation and adaptation policies in addition to outright attempt to keep the virus out of the country. Okay, okay. So in your article that I read, uh, you and your colleagues point out that several channels through which excessive global by, by uh, volatility can affect economic growth. Can you kind of go into more detail about how right. we were talking about economic growth. May have mentioned it before. Right. We were talking about volatility. That is uh, the fact that asset markets uh, have uh, quick and very large uh, swings in, in price levels. So the stock mm -hmm. market went down a lot and then it came back. Came and the same for every other asset market, uh, I would say globally. So they, this is a typical reaction when there are big news. Um, financial markets react by, by um, uh, with asset prices responding very fast and very, very strongly. This creates volatility and is a reflection of the uncertainty. Nobody really knows at the beginning neither what is going on 
nor what is going to happen. And uh, people are simply uncertain about the future. Uh, COVID, like many previous uh, shocks in uh, US economic history, created a great deal of uncertainty. The standard measure of volatility in uh, the first two weeks of uh, March 2020, they did not reach the highest, so the worst uh, level ever, but they went to very high level, the fastest ever. So all of a sudden, we went from a very calm period to a very, um, of a period of very high, very heightened uh, uncertainty, very, very, very fast. What does this do to economic behavior? In very simple terms, when we don't know what the future will look like, uh, it's very prudent to stop taking decisions. You just wait and see. Imagine that all of a sudden uh, they tell you that uh, you don't know whether uh, you will need your test for college admission. So the first reaction for the next few days until that clarifies would be to wait and see what uh, the policy by the, the, the main administrators of this test, the SAT and the ACT board is going to be. And then you will take a decide whether you want to prepare for the test or not. So for economic agents, when uh, the future become much more uncertain, the natural thing to do is to wait to make purchases. You don't know whether you can preserve your job or not right. in the face of COVID. Maybe you work in one of those sectors initially affected, or you work in a sector that was not doing great before the pandemic, before deciding whether or not to take your uh, long uh, dream of vacation in the Caribbean, you're gonna wait and see whether you can keep your job or not. Right, so mm -hmm. you postpone your expenditure decision, and that means that consumption tend to fall, and your saving tend to goes up in, in the sense that you save for precautionary uh, motives. So you insure against the possibility that uh, more bad news are coming. Similarly, if you are a corporation and you have to decide how to <clears throat> either to hire or to um, or to invest acquire new capital new capital goods to expand your the production you may want to wait and, and have some some clarity on what is uh, the economic uh, uh, landscape one two years ahead of you before making those decisions so that's a standard way in which uncertainty typically affect economy many many models have this prediction mm -hmm. but there are also more perverse effect uh, which could right. be positive so in the theoretical literature you can find uh, um, theoretical possibilities where uncertainty actually give you uh, is good news. Imagine that you are on the stock market and all of a sudden equity prices can go up and down more than what they could have done before. That means that you have both a bigger downside, but also potentially bigger upside, and that can right. give you some, some positive effect. But we, we macroeconomists tend to think about uncertainty as bad news and as something that is dragging down decisions. So linking to where we started from, uh, COVID generated a lot of uncertainty. So <clears throat> as a second layer of impact, in addition to those effects that we talked about on the demand and the supply side, because there was a lot of uncertainty, the demand overall in the economy was pulled back by much higher uncertainty. And the same can be said about uh, uh, globally. All right. So these last couple of questions are kind of linked together. 
So firstly, what determines like the probability of a certain country doing well or doing worse after the COVID? Uh, well, uh, it's very difficult to attach a specific number, right? right. Um, that would be, you can answer the question if you, uh, if you formulate very precisely. So you take one particular uh, dimension of the COVID crisis, uh, you measure it with some, uh, with some data, you put it in a statistical model, you run some data, uh, you, you crunch some data, and then you try to come up with the answer. So that is doable. We economists do that all the time. There's plenty of those exercises, um, but we cannot uh, make the same statement overall to probably that the US is doing, uh, is gonna do um, well along certain dimension going forward. Uh, in general, there are a lot of lessons we can draw upon from the past. And uh, the lessons are that economies that um, receive big shocks with the house in order, meaning uh, not already vulnerable by their own making, um, um, so not already having a, a serious economic problems, do better than others after the shock, right? And similarly, uh, what the policy response uh, is to the crisis, especially led by, by the government with monetary and fiscal policies, but all the other, in the case of COVID, especially all the other <clears throat> health, health policy and other, all type of policies being implemented. So the quality of the policy response determines the likelihood of success. And uh, this shock was so large, so persistent that uh, pretty much every country strived to do the best they could. Unfortunately, not all countries were in the same initial position. So, for example, the U.S. entered the crisis with already a lot of uh, uh, public debt accumulated uh, after the global financial crisis. And that's an element of vulnerability. And now you see Congress uh, quibbling about uh, um, the debt limit. And that is something mm -hmm. that is not helping uh, the economy and is preventing uh, Congress to to think more flexibly, more freely about uh, the problem in front of them. So that's an example where the initial condition is putting the U.S. at the relative disadvantage relative to other countries. The U.S. has many, many other strengths, but this is just to give you an example how the initial condition. So, for example, for developing countries, similarly to the U.S., they enter the COVID uh, crisis, the COVID uh, shock with a lot of uh, uh, government debt accumulated over the past 10 years. And this has proven to be very challenging and will remain a, one of the biggest challenges that they're facing. Right. So I think you may have answered this, this uh, last question already, talking about the US debt. But why do you think that the US and the UK are likely to experience a deeper and longer lasting effect of COVID while China's outcome have a 50% chance of being you know, better. Right, okay, so yes. Yeah. So those probabilities were in the context of the specific model that we use in the, in the study that is in the background of uh, uh, the summary note uh, on voxeu.org that you're referring mm -hmm. to. And uh, that note was written, uh, if I remember correctly, in late uh, spring, early summer, 2020. So at the time, what uh, it was, uh, uh, evident is that uh, 
certain countries and especially China took COVID very seriously, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps because they already had experience of this type of epidemic with the swine flu and the SARS uh, respiratory um, epidemic in, uh, in 2008, if I remember correctly. And therefore they responded, they took it extremely seriously right away. Mm -hmm. And they made it a top priority to put it under control with, uh, um, with these uh, um, lockdown and the social distancing and so on and so forth. Europe was somewhat in between, but in the UK and in the US, initially we saw uh, a, more, uh, uh, a more liberalist approach saying, well, um, we are not gonna restrict uh, individual um, people mobility and choices so uh, aggressively as we see done in China, but also in Europe. And uh, it's not a secret that uh, it was a very, very costly uh, posture. It had some economic benefits, in particular, the economy perhaps uh, recovered faster than other uh, economies once uh, the first wave of the pandemic was uh, under control. But for a long time, for the following year, <clears throat> there was hesitation in taking an aggressive stance in responding with uh, uh, pharmaceutical and non-pharmaceutical intervention to uh, the COVID epidemic itself. Economists have talked about the, um, the pandemic curve and the recession curve. The U.S. was uh, as, as, as been, has remained tempted to focus more on the recession curve than the pandemic curve for a long time. And if you look at the total number of uh, at the outcomes as of now, death per million of uh, population or uh, infections for million of population, you see that the US outcomes uh, uh, in retrospect uh, do not compare well uh, with, uh, with, uh, with many other countries. Now, uh, the, the, the policy, um, the attitude of the policymaker has changed dramatically. There is much more awareness. And as I mentioned at the beginning or earlier, uh, we are seeing that in, in response to the new variant, you have a prompt uh, response, very thoughtful, very measured, uh, which has the best chances to reconcile the needs of the economy and the needs of uh, uh, public health and is boding well for what's going to happen over the next uh, 12, 18 months in the US economy. But back then, uh, US and UK were not looking as good as they look now right. and it, it, it is helping a lot that uh, uh, because they were at the forefront of uh, vaccine development they now uh, benefiting from that and they have a very high share of the population that is vaccinated which uh, is helping a great deal in coping with, uh, with the continued effect of the epidemic. All right well thank you so much for coming on today, uh, taking your time to answer these questions. Thank you, Jonathan. I uh, would like to commend you for, <clears throat> for your uh, uh, initiative and I'm glad I was able to participate and I wish you the best for your graduation and your, uh, uh, your college years. Thank you. Good luck. <laughs>